and I've said before, I was like, man, look at what happened to MKC. If we had to do Winter Strong for five years for that to happen, great. Again, if there's ever a question while we're doing this. Right. Like, there it is. Like, there's the legacy that we leave. Because, like, you and I could slide off a mountain anytime. If more people in our, our stratosphere or whatever right. you want to call it are being more successful and matching their dreams, then the stock of the whole community is rising. Yeah. Yeah, how was it. how was winter strong or summer strong? Summer strong was awesome. It was kind of as it always is. It's it's always you know exciting. Everyone freaking brings their a game and and uh, it. What I learned though is kind of interesting. Just like winter strong, I've learned summer strong and winter strong. There's a there's like a hangover, and I think we talk about like oh it's over. It's all the you know the fun stuff. But I, I put my finger on. There's a literal depression that comes with it. Really? Yeah, and and so Ryan Krauser, uh, world record holder in the shot put, um, he was at Summer Strong, spoke on Saturday. The next Saturday, uh, he broke the world record in the shot, which was pretty yeah. cool. And my kids showed me online because Sadie's shot putter. She was like, right. "Dad," and I was just like, "Oh, that'd be so didn't sweet." Didn't he? He almost hit the back wall right of the pit. Yes, is that the video? Yes, that the wall is like twenty. He, he like meters. short hopped it. Short like boom boom. Yeah, yeah, like six inches off. And they had just put that wall up there, which at the time was like two feet over the world record. You know what he was thinking oh, when dude. he saw that. He's like, like I think if you mal down on that wall. I'm hitting that wall. So, and, and you watch the video, like he, he strokes it, and, and, and like he knows he nailed it. He, and I talked to him, he's like, oh, yeah, that was it. He goes, I knew halfway through the throw it was gone. Really? Yeah. And he's God. like, I, he's like, when I lined it up, he's like, here it goes. <laughs> How much did he beat it by? About seven, eight inches off his world record from two years ago at the Olympic God. trials, which was like a foot PR over the 31-year-old world record, too. So, Damn. So he's put... A foot is a lot, too. Stupid it's like, amount. Stupid it's like winning the 100 by a full second. Yes. Like, yeah. It's like... When everyone else is within tenth, like two-tenths of a yeah, second. Yeah. A couple tenth. centimeters is like, oh, uh, man. Hey, cheers, by cheers. the way. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I assume we're rolling. <laughs> mm-hmm. We are. We are. So, yeah. Um, so, so, anyway, had, he was he, saying. he Yeah, so a couple centimeters is, you know, you would be happy to break a world record like that. Yeah. So, for him to bomb over a foot at an Olympic trials, go to the Olympics, that that, and then only went three centimeters less than his world record at the Olympics, which has never happens. I don't remember the last time a world record in the throws has been broken at the Olympics. It just doesn't happen. Really? It's, it's amazing because that's when you're the most, like I would assume that's that's the pinnacle of your career. That's when you're the most hyped up. You've Correct. You've trained the most. You've done all the mental preparedness, like anything you're, you're you can You're tapered. Think. You're everything. Yeah. It's, I honestly don't know if it's ever happened. And it's, it's throwing is so streaky and there's so many variables. There's wind. There's just been out of the shot put necessarily, but there's all these other variables. Whereas like a hundred is like a pretty gross motor skill. Like yeah. I'm, I'm wired for sound. Boom. Hit it. Right. But, you know, you try a little too hard and you're a little bit off. Like, so, it, like, the world record in the throws is, is like a game of reps. If you're at a world-class level and you throw 100 competition throws this year, you have a pretty good chance at doing something special. But give someone six throws, it's like, ah. Yeah. You know, so for him to do it then, then so year and a half later, Summer Strong talks about it. He kind of talks about winning and the golds and everything world record. And I, I introduced him and I said, next week in LA, he's probably going to break the world record. No shit. Yeah. And then he goes and blasts it, right? 
So the cool part is, is he and I, a couple of weeks ago, were talking a week, couple of weeks after, and I'm like, how you doing? He's like, oh, I'm doing good. I'm like, how are you really doing? He's like, I'm a little down. I'm like, interesting. So we got talking, and he and I were both like at the same trough. Yeah. And and what he said, he goes, yeah, I don't really tell a lot of people. He said, but every time I've won an Olympic gold, a world championship, or broken a world record, I'm like really depressed right afterwards. Really? And I go, and it's weird. Every summer strong and winter strong, I am like super down the next week. And it's not an emotional, I'm sad. Right. You know, one, one part, you're like, oh, I'm sad it's over. But we were talking about there's such an such a dopamine and serotonin hit that's so high, yeah, it, and it fills up you know all your receptor sites. <clears throat> Any kind of sine wave, you have to have the the opposite yeah. side of it. And, yeah. and he and I've talked. He was like, "Yeah," he goes, "You know, two days day after you break the world record, he goes, I'm on the couch. I don't want to work out. I, he goes, I don't want to eat. And like he gave all these signs. He goes, those are all the classical depression signs. And yeah. I just did the thing that's never been done. Yeah. And he goes, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not what I want, but it's what I'm feeling and I have to be accurate about it. And so it was interesting. Long story short was, you know, I just came out of this, you know, we had our national conference, which we just destroyed. The next week was summer strong. The next week uh, during summer strong, we installed university of alabama football and missouri which football, was unbelievable which was our like biggest college contract ever and it's bama right so you look and you're like oh right like these three monster four monster dopamine hits in like 20 days straight and i'm like oh right that's why i want to be in a dark room and not talk to anyone for a week yeah and i'm just a mad i'm irritable and all this stuff. and it's like this is so stupid life is so amazing yeah and you're like oh right i just need to set out a couple rounds like yeah. that's what it is and so it's interesting i kind of watch guys like yourself guys guys that have, have had extreme success and I, you know i would even say it, you guys out there that that kind of get to ride that ride which is a rare ride mm-hmm. you got to watch it at times because you wouldn't think that, but, and, and even as Ryan said, he goes, I feel like such a whatever going like, oh, I'm, I'm moping because I just broke the world record. He goes, I, I'm just telling you what I'm feeling. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it is, it's just science. It's just, it's just chemicals in the brain. Yeah. And what's, it's, it's interesting because I was telling Jess too, like she was asking me about, you know, if I was excited last week about like the bear hunt, right? With, we took Derek Wolf on a bear sure. hunt and she was, Asked me if I was excited about it. And I'm like, it's weird because like I'm trying to be, but also we're so, so busy. Yes. And then I know that going on that's going to put us farther behind. And I know right after that, we've got TAC coming up. Right. And it's just like stacking these things on each other. And it's the same thing. It sounds like you're complaining. And quite frankly, like when we went to the first TAC in 2020 and, or yeah, in 2020, and I just showed a couple of my knives to a couple of people and Jess and I walked around and shot like that was like a highlight event. And I'm like, right. I should be like super excited about all these things, but it's just that constant buildup of, of excitement and hype and everything. And then one after the other, and you actually don't get a chance to just recharge a little bit. Yes. Like you don't actually get that chance to have that little down it, right it, after you it. don't. Yeah. And, and when our expectations get so high as, as high achievers and we're both driving and going right. You know, I think, Looking back, probably my first tack when I just, I'm going to go walk around. Kip was like, dude, you ought to go to this event. And I walked around and shot and talked to everybody. I was like, this is super great. Yeah. And I actually, I liked when you and I, we got our bungalow on the side of the highway. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> that was actually super fun. And, uh, 
But yeah, then then of course you start bringing a booth and you have expectations and you have to do this and there's meetings and it's like, wow, this sounds like a lot of work now. Yeah. I mean, it feels like work. Well, and so. I felt bad because Danny came in literally the day of our last day of bear camp and he actually drove down to camp and stayed that night and then helped us pull down the wall tent and bring home all the stuff. And I know Danny would have loved to have like shot content this weekend and whatnot. And I kind of, I told him, I kind of made a decision of like, I said, look, I've been gone a ton from my family. I've missed yeah. a ton of stuff. And I said, then TAC starts. Then they go on a family vacation with their mom. Then TAC in Park City happens and all these other things. And I said, this weekend, I'm going to all of my daughter's softball games here in town. Sure. And ideally, from a company perspective, I probably should have like taken the raft out and fished one day. And then we probably should have taken our GoFest camper and made some content with that. And we We should have probably done a bunch of different stuff. And I kind of just... Like, and he was coming to town. It was kind of, he was in between things. So he right. just came here, which was awesome. And we had a great time, but I told him, I'm like, I, at some point you just have to say no yes, and just carve out, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go to every one of her games, every one of my boys basketball games. And then I think he saw how insane the schedule was around here because all the games they were playing, Hank was playing, Macy was playing all the stuff Sadie was doing. And he was like, it's like this all the time, and I'm like, yeah, every weekend. Like, and and then during the week, it's camps and all the other right. stuff. And oh, you told me Hank's schedule the other day was ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's 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 been absolutely insane between weightlifting and driver drivers ed threw a kink in it, but then football camp and basketball camp. Um, yeah, it's just busy. It's just busy. Right. But I mean, you know, the other thing is, is like everybody listening to this is going and doing their job, and they're busy too, yes. and they probably wish they were going to tack or bear camp. So it's not. It's like hard to sit here and bitch about any of it. I'm very thankful. 1,000%. But the other side of it is there, there is a uh, psychological, chemical, there is a response to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of said before, like, especially May for me, it's just boom, 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 boom. I was like, if you, it's like if you saw Led Zeppelin one night, ACDC the next night, Creedence Clearwater Revival the next night. Even if, like, The Who was playing the fourth night, you'd probably be like, I'm probably going to stay home for a minute. Yeah. Like I'm just kind of tracer burnout right now. And, yeah. And it's awesome. And you're like, but I can't miss it. This an event. And you're like, okay, if I want to like survive, I, I probably need to go to bed at eight o'clock tonight. I've actually heard Aaron Snyder talk about this, um, talking about like high country mountain mule deer hunting or even like the bear hunting, which is just, just the worst thing ever to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freaking mule deer. Uh, we, we, uh, yeah. Mule deer have got, <laughs> Bert Soren's number. They do. They God do. Dang. I mean, uh, whitetails seem to like come and sit in my lap. The and, only thing you need to deer. do to make it harder on yourself is add elevation to it. Right, yeah, right. Or, or make it more or miserable. Or a bell on my hat would maybe yeah. <laughs> help out more. But we were down at bear camp and we were talking about how difficult the hiking was in those mountains. I mean, it's very aggressive, very difficult hiking. And I've heard Aaron even talk about like if you're going on like a, like say an eight day high country mountain mule deer hunt, eight or 10 days which is a long time to be in the mountains. We were talking about, you know, when you go in the mountains one day and you hike really hard, that's one thing. Okay, now you stack day two on it and stack day three. A lot of times when you're out there, you feel like you should always be hunting. But, right. excuse me, I've heard, I've heard Aaron say, day three or four, it's not a terrible idea to just hang around the tent and re- recharge. Because if you go day five and six and seven, yep. I don't care if it's in business, like a lot of the stuff we're doing, Sure, whatever. If you don't force a day of recovery or even a morning of recovery in where it's like, okay, I'm not going to crawl out of my tent at daylight or before. Right. 
I'm going to sleep in until 10 or 11. I'm going to make some lunch and then I'm going to head out and maybe do a, a pretty easy evening hunt and then tomorrow get back after it. Yeah. You're actually going to be more effective and have a better chance of actually killing something for real, like and, and making a move on it and, and being mentally in the right. game and aware of the wind and your smell and every, you know, noise and everything. Right. Versus just batan death march and just hey, we got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. No, Cause like you said, if you, you burn yourself out in those first four or five days, four days, and then you just come home, yep. you now wasted five days of a 10 day hunt Yes, instead of one in the middle. Right. You right. know, you wasted the whole back half of your hunt because you just finally said, I'm so beat, so miserable, I'm quitting, there's no deer in here. And the quality of your your moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that from business. You know, I know when you're super worn out, frustrated, whatever, sometimes it's better just to take a walk and, you know, yeah. recalibrate so you don't do something emotionally stupid. Yeah. Um, I know, like, when I was training back for Highland Games years ago, um, I mean, it sounds so funny, like, knowing a guy like, like a Cam who – I don't know how many days in a row that guy could go in the mountains, but it's, it's yeah. It's, Cam's it, listening it, to this podcast going, you pussies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Cam, but <laughs> let's just be real here. But no, uh, but, but yeah, Cam's just a whole freak different animal. But um, when I was at my strongest, are we, Jason Lawson and I, we call him cyborg. You, I think, you know, Jason, you know, mm-hmm. Parker, his son. Mm-hmm. So he and I were, he was high level strong, man. I was high level Highland games. And our two rules were never train two days in a row and when in doubt, go home and rest. Oh, really? And it was wild because we got so strong. Really? It was bonkers. Because when we were there. Given your chance for recovery. We were going to burn it down. Right. And we used to joke. We're like, yeah, you could squat 500 in here and turn and, and turn someone's head, but you better be supersetting it with something. Like, it just better <laughs> be like, yeah. just part of work, right? Yeah. And we look back and we're like, how did we get that strong? And we were never injured. We're like, oh, right, because we never trained two days in a row. So we always had a day of rest. We always ate a bunch. And you come back in and you blow it up. And then you go home and rest. You blow home and rest. And and in a year, like, I think I got up to 260. He got up to 320. And we were strong as shit. That's the kind of stuff I need you to tell Hank. Because he's in the gym, you know, every single day doing his stuff. But also, like, getting him to eat. Oh, that's, also, the, that's the biggest and thing. And he's a growing kid. Like he's 15. And he's a monster, yeah. too. And uh, getting him to actually, like, you know, because a lot of times a lot of this early morning workout stuff they do, he'll just wake up kind of at the last yeah. possible moment and go to the gym. And not, not only does he go to the gym, then he goes straight into driver's ed, then sure. into basketball. And at like, 2 in the afternoon, he's like, I'm starving. Yeah, because you're on a giant caloric deficit. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, you're actually, all that working out you did this morning, like, you're not going to build... No, if, if you're not fueling yourself. No, no. I mean, he'll get lean, <laughs> right? But you know, at 15, when he's what six four, six, six five, two, so yeah, six huge. three, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could be a monster. But that that was what we'd learn. And then again, a mountain hunter is is a different animal than when you're trying to be a strength athlete, right? But it was so funny. We just we we always had to hold ourselves back. That's all we had to make the rule because there was always the hey, all right, see you tomorrow. And it's like hold on, the rule is we don't right. And then, yeah. but you're chomping at the bit you're ready to tear someone's face off the day after when you come in because you're like dude i've been sitting at home and relaxing and like getting massage and eating and like i'm ready to break some bars yeah and it was it was like kind of almost cheating how fast you how you fast you improve yeah well i gotta say uh we kind of got going into this but this is it's it's a huge honor and it feels like (laughs) a uh it feels like a a kind of big moment for me having you sitting here in this podcast studio <laughs> in this shop because 
I got I owe a lot of everything that we've built in the last couple of years to you and your company, your family, your employees. You know, this uh, this building has largely resulted a lot from what you built with Winter Strong and what you facilitated, which you made possible for my company. So, wow. um, uh, that oh man, uh, I, I'm 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 just I'm a huge huge fan. I'm super stoked. You're an awesome friend, and and. I watch what you're doing and I get inspired like crazy. I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh. Like look how hard and how fast and just how courageous they are. And like, it's awesome. It's freaking awesome. Like, so it's that you say that I, I appreciate it, but it's like, I feel super, super honored to maybe play one little drop of success in what you're doing. And then I get to watch from the front row. Well, it gets me, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not just one little drop that you had in that, uh, but yeah, it gets me. Um, I didn't think I was going to get emotional. I've never cried on a podcast, but you make um, me cry. This is going to be a weird podcast. Two I know big, two big dudes crying. Well, um, this uh, I get it, man. I explained. Uh, I talked for years about what I wanted to build for this company and what I wanted to do. And I told guys forever, and I'm sure a lot of people thought I was full of shit, was never going to do it. And I kept talking about what I wanted to do. And, you know, one of my foremen at work, you know, he was, he was actually in our booth this year down in, in Salt Lake, but I used to sit up in the bucket truck and tell him in my old job, like we talked about MKC and the idea of this and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, when I brought those, I made those prototypes. I was working for the power company, and I came down to your to Winter Strong, and showed those knives around. And yeah, I'd shout never, out to Neil Kamimura for setting. Yes, that up. Neil. Neil invited me down, uh, shared the spotlight of the forge down there. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into, and it was uh, it was an, an amazing group of people that I'd never been around. So many people that were so. Uh, so driven, so accomplished, but also so supportive. Mm. And everybody there like gave, gave me that like feeling that it was possible and that you could do it and that you had support. And that's really all I needed. Cause quite honestly, like you, when you live in a small town and you, you kind of like have these big aspirations, these big ideas of like thinking you might be able to build something, but then you look around and you're like, yeah, but nobody else around here is doing yeah. that. So like, is that really possible? Like that's probably not possible. Like it's not possible in Frenchtown, Montana to do, like build a brand, right? Or, or and, Irmo, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and so, uh, you know, when Jess and I walked away from that event, there was just this feeling of like we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna absolutely get after this. And that was really when COVID was just striking. Yeah. When we came to Winter Strong that year of 2020, um, February, on the way out on the TVs in the airports, we flew through Dallas. I remember it like it was yesterday. A couple people were wearing masks. Yep. Um, but it was just, a, it was on the news, but it wasn't anything that I, like we were even really paying attention to. No one discussed it at Winter Strong that weekend that I remember really at all that weekend. Um, but then traveling back home and over the, like the next five days, it was becoming like a thing. That was right. now like, I want to say that event was like third, fourth, fifth of February. And yeah, by like something twelfth, yeah, it was right. Maybe but, second week, yeah. By 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 the tenth of February or the fifteenth, like 
COVID was starting to roll. And by March 1st, the country was like shutting yep. down. Yeah. It was that fast. I was at an event. Right. So I went and did Winter Strong. And it was like a week later, I was at D1 event where we, we build the equipment for their franchise. And I was at their like national thing. And the airport started shutting down. And I, I was in Nashville like, holy crap, am I going to get home? Like, you know, I could drive if I had to. But it was like literally sitting in my hotel going, Hold on a minute. Like this is like a real thing that's yeah. that's about to go down. Yeah. So I remember. Like, and the yesterday. next and the next year, you were literally having people have to COVID test to come to your event. Yeah, because we weren't going to not do it. Right. But I remember sitting around the the, the kitchen table. We bought a butt ton of COVID and, tests. And, and I remember you saying, nose. like, I, I remember you saying, like, I can't have a, a, a coach come home from my event and go get some damn professional athlete. Yeah sick or 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 even worse someone at your event going home and dying from something they contracted at sarnex event i mean it was crazy time but it was bonkers i remember that first year though i think it was i can't remember it was a friday or saturday night and you were there i remember exactly where we were standing and you were showing me some of your knives and i still have that that first josh smith knife you gave me yeah and I remember looking through, and I was like, oh, man, I really, really like this one. I, I walked over, and I showed Pops. I was like, which one's your favorite? And both of them, he and I both said, like, oh, that was my favorite. And I was like, and I apologize. I didn't really know of you as a knife maker. No, no. More, more than what Neil had told me. And Neil was like, hey, this guy was, like, the first. You know, kind of gave me the whole spiel. Like, yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah. I remember looking at your knives, and I remember coming up to you. And I'm like, dude, your stuff is awesome. And you gave me that knife, which I super appreciate. And and you, you told me your plan. Like, hey, I was looking at doing this like a production knife company and i remember exactly where we were standing and and we were, we were talking that and i remember you coming up to me i think it was saturday night and you were with your wife is that accurate yeah and, and then you're like we're gonna do it yeah and i was just i mean i probably had a couple of drinks in me so i was like oh awesome that guy's pumped up yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? but you you kept like you were so serious you're like no no like we're, we're going to do this thing. And, and you even kind of said like, Hey, and like the people that are here are going to be like the, the seed group of, of that. And I'm like, awesome. You know, and I was, a, a not only, a, I appreciated your, your balls just to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. But then you pouring into our community and my community and the community we, we collectively, you know, uh, you know, help, and and you did exactly what you said you were going to do. You know, I would say there's probably not a person that out, that is at winter that was at Winter Strong 2020 that's not carrying a Montana knife, yeah, or that didn't in the next year, right? And so like you going, yeah, I'm going to help these people out. They were here, inspiring you and giving you that feedback. Like that was, in my opinion, that was a, a real deal move because it showed me you were very serious. You were good with investing in your community. Yeah. You made an awesome product. I mean, I still have my first early, early, early one. I looked at it the yeah. other day, and you told me I probably need to put it away and stop carrying it. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's yeah, it's just it's just all. And then I look back, I'm like, I, when I watch your post or get to talk to you on the phone, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it's, you guys are on a rocket ship. It's crazy. And I and I remember laying in our, I remember laying in our tent, Jess and I laying in our tent there at Winter Strong, and like telling her, like. We, we we're gonna do this like we can do this like th- that I don't I don't know what it is and I can't really put a finger on what it is about being around so many people that are accomplished without egos um, that are that are driven but they're also still supportive they're inquisitive and they question and they want to learn like everything about that event just made me feel like 
it was possible. And I don't know what it was, but then when we came home, you know, I just decided like, I'm going to ignore this COVID thing. And I'm going to just do, yeah. I'm going to just chase my dream because I frankly ran away from it in 2010 when I quit and I got hired on at the power company in 2009. That was when the economy was crashing yeah. and everything was kind of shitty. The housing market crash and my, my waiting list was going from like three years to three months. And, and if you listen to the news back then, we were headed for a depression, you know, and right. the world was ending and, you yeah. know, we've CNN's had breaking news every day since it, the world's always ending. And sure. you, you start to realize like, yeah, I think they said Greta Thorn, Thorn, whatever her name is. I think today was supposed to be the end of the world as her prediction a few years ago. Oh really? Well, yes, shit. we still got uh, some hey, time. It's winter. It's summer solstice and I'm with friends. So <laughs> yeah. whatever, let's go <laughs> real quick. Did I ever tell you when the first time I went to Jocko's two years ago, we did his, his weight room. And I remember it was on the summer solstice. Cause the first time we'd ever met in person, he was like, all right, just come by the house. We're going to have dinner tonight. We're going to do the weight room the next day. And it was summer solstice. So I open, he, I knock on the door and I open it and his like daughters go outside and they walk across to the beach. And then he just looks at me in the eye. He goes, it's the summer solstice winter. He goes, how do you put it? He goes, uh, he goes, are you going to go down to the beach and state your intentions? For this year. And I was like, hi, I'm Bert. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I guess, but it was so cool because his kids, I don't know if they've done it that year, the year before, or every year since. He said on the summer solstice, they go down, longest day of the year, they sit on the beach, watch, watch the sunset, and they state their intentions for the next coming year. Oh, that's cool. I was like, that's cool as shit. But it sounds like, very Jocko thing to do. It's very Jocko. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's the longest day of the year. State our intentions. Yes. You, you have the less sleep possible. Yeah. I thought, it, was gonna, I thought he was going to say to you, today's summer solstice, winter starts tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, no, he, he's, as you well know, he's very straightforward. But I, I thought yeah. that was the, the perfect Jocko entrance that I got. Yeah. And I always remembers on the summer solstice. Because prior to that, I've not cared at all. But then now that it is, I'm like, well. It's actually kind of funny because Danny and I did Instagram Live last night. And Danny said on Instagram Live, he's like, oh, it's summer solstice. And we we're like, oh, we're shooting bows out here on summer mm. solstice, longest day of the year. And we did this whole Instagram Live and everything got all off there. And I wasn't reading the comments on it. And my wife was on there commenting, hey, dummies, it's summer <laughs> solstice tomorrow. And so we got all done and like posted it. And then we walk in the house and she's like, you do know summer solstice is tomorrow. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, like, there you go. I said, well, great. Then we'll shoot with Bert and Cole tomorrow night hey, on summer solstice. And, and you got the Danny in, in the can. Yeah. So <laughs> you we're good. Content. Yeah. But no, the, I, uh, it's just been, it was, it's been amazing building and whatnot, but the only reason that this all happened was just really because of what winter strong facilitated those relationships. And then, you know, it's just a, it's just a, a tree that grows and branches keep coming off of it and more branches. And it's just, uh, it's an amazing family and um, the amount of respect I have for you, the way you run your business, you know, your, um, you know, your family, the way that your wife supports you and the way that you are as a father, like everything that you do is, is very, very inspiring. And um, thanks man. Yeah, well, we both just, have the secret weapon. We have amazing wives. We do. I mean that, we that do. people, I mean, that's, that's like the number one thing you could have is have a supportive spouse. Right. And I'll, I'll be fully honest. Like, part of the reason I didn't start this company for years before that is I didn't really feel like I had that before. And, sure. and when I met Jess and I started telling her my idea before we went to winter strong, um, she was just like, well, you should quit your job and do this. And I, and I was making those prototypes long before winter strong. I actually pulled up some pictures. Um, I got my first sheet of blades cut in June of 19. 
Wow. So it was six months. Yeah. So when Neil invited me, that was just like a few weeks before Winter Strong, maybe a yeah. month at sure. tops. Yeah. Um, those that the plan of me doing MKC was was going, but I hadn't. I didn't have the belief that it could work. Mm-hmm. Like it's this idea I talked about a long time. It took me six months to get those prototypes going. I was unsure, didn't know how to do it, and and really just continuing to question myself and like, sure. is it really? worth investing time and money into and and the winter strong you know mkc didn't wasn't born from winter strong winter strong's what gave me the the confidence that mkc could actually work right. you know, like i it, like there's people that will that believe in it and actually think it's viable and 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 i guess i feel like just like if if these if all these other accomplished people from all these other small towns all over the country can do their thing then why can't i do mine so yeah. MKC was was beginning, but I'm not. I'm just not sure how whatever would have happened, or if MKC would have worked the way that it did without like that. It was like having a spark, and like the the little fire is going. It's kind of in your hand, but then all of a sudden, Winter Strong is the gas on the fire. Mm. And I don't know, like, is that something that would have smoldered along and burned for a while and finally give up on it? Would it have finally built into a raging fire? I don't know. Sure, but that MKC was just that fuel, or the Winter strong was that fuel. Oh man, that that's you know, so that that kind of stuff. Like I, I've talked to you know, talked to people before, like even internally at the company, and they and, you know, Sornex. And most people are, or most everyone's down with it, but there's still always some questions, right? There's like, wait, we're, we keep doing this outdoor event. You, we're a strength company built. You know, some of the people that just aren't in in that world as much. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said before, I was like, man. Look at what happened to MKC. Mm-hmm. I was like, if we had to do Winter Strong for five years for that to happen, mm-hmm. great. That's cool. Great. Yeah. Perfect. And, and if we never do it again, like, or there's people, I mean, there's people that hit me all the time. There's a guy that just came to Summer Strong not too long ago. Another guy that came, uh, uh, Winter Strong, I'm not going to say his name, but he sent me this amazing letter. This is like two days ago. And he got invited to Winter Strong from Duncan, mm-hmm. you know, crazy Duncan mm-hmm. Butler. And um, he sent me this email that like his whole life was changed because of the things that he ran into there and the people and the, 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 the culture that there that, that imprinted on now he's training and he stopped drinking and he's eating better and he's getting more confident. And this thing happened bad in his life, but he just brushed it off and moved forward. And it's like, and I sent it to my guys. I go, Again, if there's ever a question while we're doing this, right? Like, yeah, that, there it is. Like, there's the legacy that we leave because, like, you and I could slide off a mountain anytime. Like, right. but but to leave something good in this world. And I was listening to to Rogan and and Cam on the flight over, and they both talked about like liking to see people succeed. Like, yeah, it, and it's not a scarcity mindset. Like if you sell 80 gazillion knives, that doesn't make my life worse. Right. Like right. if you're all of a sudden blowing up and doing all this amazing things, like, like, like in fact, that makes my life better because my friends are being successful. And, 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 and that that's, and, and I see it like as a global stock of our, like of our team. No, it's not an official team, but it's like the big family, the culture. What if, if more people in our, our stratosphere or whatever you want to call it are being more successful and matching their dreams. Then the stock of the whole community is rising. Yeah. Great. And, and it's that whole, you know, like Rogan has said on there that rising tide lifts all boats, you know, and, and, 
you, you don't know too when relationships and things come back around that you know there there may be a, a job someday that you guys get that come from us or from somebody two levels down that I introduce you to or whatever it's happens. already happened and, <laughs> it's well, already happened and not that you guys need that but it's and whether it's whether it's me or it's anyone else that attends that event um, some some things in marketing it's interesting Brandon and I actually have this discussion uh, I think Brandon and I are a pretty good mix because Brandon is so good at marketing right here, right now, right in front of you um, and getting immediate, immediate feedback, immediate sales, immediate response. Um, really, really good at that. And, mm-hmm. and I actually suck at that. Um, and, I, and, and it's quite frankly why I actually <laughs> asked him to, to become a business partner after I originally had hired him because I knew my limitations. I knew I wasn't good um, you're in rarefied air as a CEO owner to know your limitations and to act accordingly <laughs> on them. Well, so you're a ninja to start with that that's the case. Well, I, I just knew, uh, one, like talking about yourself and marketing yourself, like, like that's, that's a difficult and weird thing to do without looking and sounding like a douchebag. Mm-hmm. And Brandon could market knives and maybe me as the owner and the knife maker behind the brand and he could do that in a way that I can't do it and if I do it it looks really strange but sure. also I don't know uh, I've been learning so many goddamn terms you know as a CEO of this company and all these marketing I sit in all these marketing meetings and all these analytics and all these statistics and then email campaigns and these different flows back and forth and Ecom stacks. I mean, I still actually, I just, I hear him say ecom stack and I just nod my head and I still don't know what the hell it is. Right. You're like, I'm going to go design the next uh, Stonewall. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) our jobs are very similar. Yeah. But where I'm, where I am good at is like, I, I do and I enjoy it the most is it's the people and it's the knowledge that I'm not sure how this potential relationship that I've built with this person is going to pay off. And I'm not looking for it and I don't really care when or if it even really ever does, but it probably will. It but will. it might take five years. It might take 10. Um, yes. And I don't know what a payoff even necessarily is. It could be an introduction to another person. It could be a big order down the road for their company. It could be whatever. It doesn't matter. It could just be a supplier like a, like all of a sudden maybe you introduce me to someone who laser cuts steel and I need, of course. I, I need that in my business. Like Yes, that is I, the key. You're exactly on it. And that's what we've tried to work on too. And I've seen that as well like just just do good in the world and right. do good with your community and everyone you interface with yeah there's some people that's going to be a very direct i'm going to buy a giant weight room great that's awesome right or i'm going to introduce you to so and so or sometimes it's just it's cool to know that you helped out somebody yeah like pretty much always that yeah you know and even if it just even, even works on yourself and going hey i'm going to do this i'm going to audit myself and go am i doing this for this person to help them out with no intention of anything coming back from it. Mm-hmm. The funny part is something always seems to come back it does. from it. it. It's like, and biblically, they talk about your cup overfloweth. Mm-hmm. The blessings come back so much more than, I mean, we try to give them out and they come back faster than we could even give them out. Mm-hmm. And it's a biblical principle. It's 10 times or seven times, but it's like, holy cow, this is actually a thing. Like I tell less sometimes, I look around and I go, we don't deserve this. And that doesn't mean physical manifestations of things, just the life of that we have. And yeah, we don't deserve that. 
Right. And people, oh, no, you, you deserve. No, no, no. Stop with the deserving thing. Right. Like, there are people that work so much harder than I do. There are people that do much better things for people. Right. Do I do some of those? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But that, but there's not like, a, oh, you've done these things now. You deserve the chunk of cheese. Right. Or whatever it is. But I, I agree with you, man. Like, it's it always seems to come back in some way. But and And it was the same way when I was making custom knives. I always had... You know, we called them in the knife community hammer ins. So basically, yeah. what Winter Strong is is it's a hammer in. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a and or another name for it that people more commonly call them is a conference. Sure, right? but a conference nerds call seems that. yeah very nerdy and very boring. Right, nobody wants to go to a conference. And uh, but a hammer in uh, what we what we used to do is I I would fly in instructors from all over, uh, frankly, the world. Uh, mostly from the U.S., but some from Germany and other places around Europe, Australia, Canada. These guys, I would I would find the guys that, frankly, selfishly, I wanted to learn from. A thousand percent. That I thought were doing epic stuff. And frankly, I even wanted to just meet them because they were kind of heroes of mine. Of and I thought, I know, I'm going to pay them to come to my shop. <laughs> <laughs> and then people are going to then pay to come to my shop because I couldn't afford to just give it away at that point. I was literally living paycheck to paycheck. And I, and I started doing those hammer ins and frankly couldn't even afford really to do them. I was putting it all on credit cards. And then once everyone paid their entry fee, it's like, okay, that paid for it. Right. We squeaked by, but we brought all these guys in and that was what was really cool about the knife making community. Uh, You know, a guy like a Jason Knight or a Neil Kamamura guys like that, right? We bring those guys in Um, knife makers would pay to come and learn from them. And then they would pitch tents all over my property. We'd have 100, 120 people here. Um, I catered. The golf course would cater a meal down here. and friends with the golf course owner, and he'd bring breakfast and lunch down here. We'd have dinner. We'd shoot the bowling ball cannon, do all this different stuff. And, and really what came of it was the learning and the skills was definitely one thing, but the relationships was oh. the part that was actually, it's the part you couldn't put your finger on. Uh, it was very easy to to point out a skill that like I learned this from Bert, right. learned this thing from Jason. Those relationships paid off way bigger than any of the skills over the years and those friendships yes. that I still have today. Um, and it was powerful. And it was it was a hundred people camped together for three days every yep. June in Montana, and it was phenomenal. And we had knife customers that started catching on. And so I'm like, all right, well I'm going to do this. I started a knife show at an art gallery in Missoula. We had. Uh, we had the first year I did five makers. The next year I did 15. I ended up with 20 makers in it, 20 of like the, some of the best makers in the world. And we sold over a hundred thousand dollars in knives in an hour. And, and we, it was in an art gallery. It was all really high end, really nice. Um, but what was even better than that was those knife collectors hung out for the next two days at our shop and learned about how the knives they're being, they're buying are being made. And you would actually think people might want to hide like, you know, sometimes people want to hide how things are done, but the knife collectors found it incredible and actually respected more the craft and the work. Like, I did not know the amount of work that goes into engrave or carve or do Damascus. And it makes them then want to turn around and buy more knives later. Of course. Because now they understand more of the art form. Right. And, but again, what we also developed through that was relationships with our collectors where they became like family. Of course. And it was an amazing, I did that, six or seven, eight years in a row. And it was absolutely incredible up until, you know, I quit and went to my, sure. My lineman job. But uh, if you did one now, you wouldn't be able to, you'd have to. Yeah. We're, we're talking about <laughs> it. MKC Hammering would be, 
Yikes. Yeah, we're talking about it. But yeah. uh, but you're exactly right. Like, it, And the, the interesting thing, you said like six, seven years, whatever it may be, that's what I don't think people understand is when you're doing that slow drip kind of trickle of building roots in a network, you can't do it in a year, two mm-hmm. years. You could be on a rocket ship. That's great. But like the ones who succeed, I tell people, I said, look at whoever's popping or blowing up right now. And I'll guarantee they, they were doing some iteration of that 10 years ago. Yeah. They just didn't, no one knew them yet. So right. they were doing the work. Right? right. And so, you know, you didn't just start knife making. I right. didn't just start making weightlifting equipment or hunting or anything like that. Right. But yeah, but, you were living in a gym while you're and your dad was also building this company, but you were also training and, and learning the physical fitness part. And yeah. Mentality of competing, everything. like all those things. But you look at anyone, like I kind of laugh and go, okay, like let's go back to a Cameron Haynes, a Joe Rogan, a John Dudley, like any of those guys you talk to, Jocko, whatever, all of them were doing the stuff 10, 15, 20, yeah. 30 years ago. Right. Before they got out of high school, they were doing some of this. Yeah, yeah, all of that. And then you go, oh, okay. So not only do you have this giant body of work, you're professional at it. And also the roots that you have, you know, I kind of laugh, you know, people will go, gosh, you know, sometimes we'll get these weight rooms from so-and-so state university and, and, you know, my competitors will come in and, and, you know, try to do whatever they do. And I laugh, I go, you don't remember that guy was in my wedding. Right. Or that guy I competed against 25 years ago and we used to stay at each other's houses every summer. Although we were in the same conference, we would train, have training camps together at 20 years old. Right. Like there's some strong roots there, man. Yes. Like, but you can't go buy that. You can't, right. you know, but if you do that for 20 or 30 years, you have a lot of roots at different places of people that those relationships are the portfolio. Somebody said at attack, like MKC is like an overnight success. And I think Brandon said, yeah, it's a 30 year overnight success. Right. Cause even same thing with Brandon on the marketing side, like he's been running marketing for different companies in different industries for 20 years, yeah. you know, I mean, went to college, master's degrees, like all, all the, you know, couple different bachelor degrees, then a bunch of experience succeeding and failing yes. in other companies and probably more failing early on before a lot of succeeding um, to get to the point where he has his own company that he now knows like, okay, I'm ready. Now I know how to build and how right. to market and how to do, right. you know, his end of it. The and I, I kind of always see it that way. Like the experience just, limits options in a way like if there's a hundred things you could do experience tells you that 70 of them are stupid so now you're really only down to 30 yeah which is just a higher probability of success one out of 30 shots i'll take more than one out of 100 and so like that's where you just start you could jettison off shitty ideas yeah and you don't always have the 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 right answers but you certainly know the wrong ones faster right right and it's very interesting it's kind of people said about sornex too like oh you guys blew up it's like yeah we're kind of like a 10-year startup with 35 years of momentum and behind it. Yeah, so what year did your dad make the first rack in the backyard? Uh, 1980. So we're at 43 Damn, before years Before I was born. <laughs> yeah, I was Damn. four. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like we had Soren playgrounds. We had Soren equipment. Um, we were doing them in, in playgrounds, obviously, you know what those are. but And then equipment was the strength side. We condensed it down to Soren equipment. 1992, we rebranded to Soren because it was Soren exercise equipment. We cut it to Soren X, kind of changed it, just more branding. 1992, I came on full time in 99. 
Um, so I'm coming up on Was my, that just coming out of college? Kyle, yeah. So my first day was July 1, 1999. So I'm coming up on 24 years. Okay. Um, so, yeah, exactly. But but I, I didn't come with, uh, hey, we're going to take over the world. I came, this is my dad's passion project. He's been in it 19 years at the time. Right. He struggled. He's done all the things, done everything right and everything wrong and everything in between. Right. And had no business mentors, no, like, you know, you just. How many employees did your dad have at that point in 99? You think uh, how big was Sornex? Well, we had, I think we had seven at the shop and him. Wow. And then we had, and then we, we farmed it out to another company, American company here. And they had like 16 employees. We farmed out some of the, so we were design marketing sales. Marketing is a very loose term. They were doing some of the manufacturing. They were doing the manufacturing. And then in 2008 ish, somewhere right around there, we got back into the manufacturing side ourselves and just retook it back in just to make sure we had just a better customer experience. But when we had that, I mean, I still have a guy right now. This is my logistics manager. This was 2012. Mm-hmm. At 2012, he, he came in. We hired him. And I remember he he told me he's still there. He's all the time, you know, killing it. And Matt goes, uh, he goes, man, I, I remember I was number 11 employee. And he goes, and I was kind of afraid that I didn't get in early enough. Yeah. And I think we went to like 208 during COVID. Damn. <laughs> so I, like we, and so he laughs now and he's like, you know, and still out of those 11 people, you know, half of them aren't there anymore. So he's like, you know, still four or five in, yeah. the, in the stack. Keeps moving up. And then so he, he's laughing. He's like, oh, to think that I was kind of like, you know, got in late, you know, yeah. go, oh dude, like it was, it was just, we were just getting probably like where you guys are. Like you just get enough ass behind you to really start doing some amazing things. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just took us 35 years, 30 four years to get there. So what, what was your degree? Cause you were, you were throwing hammer in college, right? Yeah. I picked the most obscure sport to be good at. Yeah. Reduces competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, it's actually the most technical event in track and field, which is again, very dumb. Now, do they throw hammer in any high schools really at uh, all? I think like New York, there's like three or four States that throw it, maybe five States that throw it now. Because they they're trying at to least get, when I was uh, there might be more. Now. There's some colleges trying to get Sadie to come throw shot put for them, but they're all talking like she'd be a badass. They'd be hammer thrower. thrower. Yeah, she'd be a badass. And uh, and women's hammer throw in the '90s and three through 2000s was the best ride in the park for college because they still scored at NCAs and they still scored the exact same amount of points as they do for the hundred. And you th- look at it like every fast girl on, in America runs the hundred, right? And very few people throw the hammer, but they start, they they put the same amount of points on the board. So yeah. I used to laugh. I go, "Hey, you want your daughter to get a scholarship? If she's kind of big and strong and has good feet, teach her to throw the hammer. She's going to get a full ride somewhere because yeah. they need them. Yeah, they and need that's kind of traditionally too. Up, I think it's getting a little. It's definitely getting more difficult now. But that's kind of how golf was for a long time. Sure, women's golf was like, you know, my buddy who was a golf pro. He's like, dude. And this was when my kids were four or five years old. He's like, you know, as if your kids are athletic, if your daughters are athletic, have them play golf. He's yeah. like, it's like so easy to get a scholarship. Printing money. Handing them out. Yeah. So um, for me, hammer was kind of dumb in some ways because it's like really hard on your body. It's really technical. Um, were you were you a shot putter in high school or uh, disc? A, a crappy discus thrower that also threw shot. 
Okay. Uh, so I walked on really stupid, funny story, but I walked on like very Forrest Gump, like at South Carolina and they were like, Hey, have you ever thrown a hammer? I'm like, no, I've never even seen one. They're like, Oh, well, you know, everyone throws hammer here because that's, it's a good skill to learn. I'm like, okay, fine. So I actually got a little bit better at that. I also threw javelin and then I kind of took off with the hammer in the lake, but, uh, learning that, but it was actually, I didn't realize by learning that skill, like that being my sport, you learn to work and train in the dark. There's yeah. no one that gives a shit that you're a hammer thrower. Yeah. And so you just learn to go, okay, I'm going to pick something really, really hard. That's going to take a long time to get good at kind of like knife making kind of like mm-hmm. business, kind of like archery, kind of like yeah. all these things, right? You can't yeah. short circuit it. Right. I'm going to pick the most technically advanced thing to do that doesn't rely on anyone but me. And I have to do it until I'm good. And they're going to measure it every week. And if I'm good at it, I get to keep doing it. And if I suck, I have to go do something else. Right. And so I look back and I go, oh, it was the perfect sport for me. It was the perfect sport, not for that time, but it was the perfect sport to teach me what I needed to know in life. Yeah. And, and so there was no, there was no spotlight. There was no, you get all the girls cause you're a good hammer thrower. You right. go to be a good hammer thrower cause you want to throw the hammer and it has to be totally intrinsic and, and I you look, also know there's not going to be a big future in no, it after college. No, I mean, there's you, not. Like, I'm going to make millions of dollars. might make the Olympics, but even if you do that, you're probably not going to make millions of dollars. I made the most money I ever made was 600 bucks. No as shit. A, as a professional hammer thrower in a day. Damn. 600 bucks. I bought a trolling motor. I bet you were stoked, too. Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I, went from, I bought a trolling motor. I went from the national championships at uh, indoors at... Uh, at uh, in, in Atlanta, and I drove to Bass Pro Shops on my way home and bought a Minkota trolling motor that I actually used the other day. I was twenty no years ago. I still use it. Guy, you got to hang that thing in the museum. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I laughed, but but that was it was such a good teaching aid because it was like, oh right, if you want to do this thing, go be good at it because you want to do it. Mm-hmm. No one cares. Yeah. No one gives a shit. Yeah. And you're going to have to work really, really hard because it's like no one just is a good hammer thrower. There's guys that are fast because they woke up fast and they, you know, they pick the right parents, right? Mm-hmm. No one's good at this sport unless you put in a stupid amount of work, probably like knife making. There's no one that's just like, boom, got it. This thing's great. And now so, you, you got, I mean, like you say, you got, but you got actually got real good at it. I mean, yeah. How, yeah. how did you do at nationals? Uh, well, I've, I've placed up in the top parts and then you were in the trials I was in the Olympic trials in 2000 and 2004 okay and then you know so I had I had a had a good run I was ranked in the world a couple times during Olympic years and things like that so I I say I probably was one of the better guys that didn't have a coach at the time that actually held down a real job and was not on drugs yeah not to say everyone was on drugs but that was definitely during the drug era and you look at all the all the Eastern Bloc in the stands. In the, oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, okay. I was pretty good. Yeah, you're like, all right. Well, if I'm 65th in the world out of the thousands of hammer throwers, and all these guys are in the Eastern Bloc countries, and they do this, and I run Sornex 50 hours a week, and then I'm a professional athlete at 5:30 p.m. and I did a install of a weight room last week. I didn't get a train for a week. Like, all right, I'll take that as a win. It's like being the guy that. Came in 17th in the Tour de France, and then way later on down the road, he finds out the top 16 were doing drugs. And right. he's like, oh, I was actually like the best that wasn't And, and he doing... has to go back to being like a like, like a uh, uh, air traffic controller. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Like, you know? So yeah. I'm not saying that I was that level. I mean, you know, there were certainly better, certainly better guys than me. 
but I felt like I was able to achieve a pretty high level. But in 2004, I also came to the realization that I had trained for five years as a professional. I had four more years until my next shot at the Olympics was going to put me at 2008. I'd thrown competitively for over 10 years and more than college plus and plus high school. So I'd go, okay, I've competed for a long time. I put a lot of other things on the back burner, socially, all types of things like that. But I also said, okay, if I'm going to really take a real, real, real shot at the Olympics, I'm either going to have to, in my assessment, I was going to have to do drugs. Mm-hmm. I was going to have to move to some other place with a full-time coach, put everything into that, leave my business, leave my everything. And I go, what if you do all that and you have a bad day at the Olympic trials? Right. And then you go, oh, I guess gave away Sornex because I wanted to get Olympic rings tattooed on me. That seems very, very selfish. So I said, and, well, and, I, and you do see, God, you see those guys at the Olympics, men and women that they're literally at the Olympics. They've made it to the Olympics, which is already an, a, a giant achievement in its, in itself. And they're in their final race or throw or whatever. Yep. And they c- come up with a hamstring or something. Right. And it boggles my mind. Oh, it boggles my mind. Cause I can't imagine. Um, I just can't imagine the, the, the time, the effort, everything that they built to get that point and the disappointment level has to be where, where their body let them down at that moment right. or they tripped or false started. I mean, or, uh, Oh yeah. It's mind boggling. Just mind-boggling. got sick. Just got the flu. I mean, Oh sure. Well, that was what Krauser was telling me about at the 20, I guess it was the 2020 Olympics, 2021, whatever it was in Tokyo. He said that they were, they were testing them every morning for COVID. So, you know, the whole Olympic village was quarantined. He said, so you sat in your room all day long, hoping the phone didn't ring. And he goes, yeah. he goes, literally, he said, as I was walking on the track to compete, he goes, once I stepped foot on the track, they couldn't call me anymore. He goes, up until that second, I could be pulled at any minute. And he goes, it felt like a thousand pounds was lifted off my shoulders. And I yeah. walked on the track. You're like, what did that stressor do to him? Oh, the performance you know, of all those athletes. The perfor- yeah, the, all those guys. Like, how did how would anyone ever compete well? Because, you know, you try to reduce as much stress so you could recover to be in the parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system. And you go, you're wired for sound. And he said his sweet mate popped hot the day before. Oh. So he's sitting there going. Oh, so he's. I'm, I've been training for five years now, and I just broke the world record, and I'm about to potentially give away my Olympic potential. Especially at now that we know what we know now about COVID, which I think a lot of us you know, we're starting to figure it out very quickly. Right. Um, after the first few months of it, but looking back on it now to see whether it's people that lost jobs over COVID sure. or lost an opportunity with sports. Um, and, and especially with now that we, what we know, what we know now with how much just being healthy and, yes. and fit is an advantage that none of those people are really, you know, in my opinion, quite frankly, the only, real risk to them was the actual goddamn shot itself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, and we were all talking about it, right. It was, you know, not to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, what, what part of eating well, uh, vitamin D yeah, <laughs> hydration exercise. I mean that I'm not going to say that would have solved everything, but let's be really honest. If you've been alive in the last 20 years, you've heard of those things. Yeah. 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 Like, probably need if if not this was a wake-up call maybe go ahead and like put those into the variable list right right? and if it wasn't for 
quite honestly, if it wasn't for Joe Rogan, um, yeah. I, I just don't even know actually where we would be because I swear yeah. half the time that his podcast single-handedly uh, keeps things from just spinning all the way off the edge. I agree. I agree. I, mean, I, I, I heard a stat yeah. on his latest podcast with, I think it was Robert Kennedy. Which was a great um, podcast. I think Kennedy, it really was. And it I think Kennedy said on there, what do you say, something like 300,000 CNN viewers, then Tucker was somewhere around 4 million, and and Rogan's episodes are something like 40 million. <laughs> and they were talking about how big Tucker right. was and is, and and his numbers, and the fact that Rogan's literally 10 times the size of Tucker um, and that's not including the people that just sit at work and tell everybody at work what Rogan said. Right. And that message spreads from 40 million sure. people to literally almost everyone. Yes. It's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. Yeah, and I agree. I, th- I, I mean, in my opinion, Rogan is not only a national treasure, not kissing his ass, but it's just if you really look at the yeah. numbers, I think he's a world treasure in some ways because he has enough juice that – kind of whatever could be said. And I'm not saying one side of the political, like right. at least if for free speech, he's one of the last bastions of free speech. Which and I and ha- really uncancelable. You know, he, <laughs> they haven't they pulled tried. it off by now. Yeah, I mean, they, um, they gave it a good shot and it really did. didn't even get close. And, uh, you know, only certain people, only real special people, it's funny, uh, not many people would compare Trump and Rogan, but one thing both of them are very good at is not reading the comments. Yes. I mean... Post and ghost. Trump will just do his thing, and he yeah. doesn't give a shit. His own kids could tell him, Dad, don't do this, don't do that. He's going to do... Trump is going to do his thing right or wrong. Superpower. And Rogan, if, <laughs> if shit starts heating up or whatever with Rogan, he just literally just won't open the internet and look at it. And very few people can... People say I don't read the comments. The strength of that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think both of them have superpowers. Different superpowers, but similar. Yeah. Um, that Rogan can, yes, stay from even thinking to look at it. And and I have to hand it to, to Trump, man. Like, to be able to keep pushing forward in what you believe unapologetically in the face of unbelievable pushback. Yeah. I don't care if you like him or hate him. You got to respect him. Yeah. It's, and, it's incredible. And really, quite frankly... Um, with some of the stuff that's happened lately with the Twitter files being exposed and right. <laughs> and, and all the Russia stuff, dossier stuff, like uh, so many of these things, a lot of the stuff that, quite honestly, even to someone like me and some of his supporters of back when he was was actually president and saying some of those things like, okay, man, like, I, I don't know if it's all like that, actually that rigged against you. And, you know, not that... And I'm not talking about like election counting vote stuff. Right. I'm just talking about just like everybody actively working against him. And then you find out like, no man, like the CIA, FBI, and everybody basically in government working actively, including social media and right, re- real regular media, all teaming up to right. suppress. Yeah. You know whether it's suppress stories about the other side or or make up stories about. Trump or suppress stuff. I mean, it's just kind of mind-boggling when you look back at it, what that guy put up with, quite frankly, from when he got elected, when they were bugging yeah, bugging his actual freaking apartment. Yeah. Um, and again, to have the stones to keep, to, to push forward. I mean, it, you either, it's, it's either one of two things. You have giant balls 
and there's a sense of delusionment that you believes that you're right. And, and, and that's a superpower in itself. Yeah. I mean, or it's, you do have a lot of the answers and you do know the answers and you're just going to hold to your convictions. Yeah. It might be a combination a of the two, but it's pretty amazing. Combination of everything and ego. Yeah. There's definitely ego sure. in there of just, of just believing you're better and smarter, but you, but you kind of, you got, if you don't have that, you just can't put up to that kind of scrutiny. No. And no, it just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, I think it's an inspirational at times because I'm like, man, I wish I could just not care what everyone said or or in face of s- somewhat you know immeasurable odds, be like, no, nope, here we go. Let's go. Tee yeah. it up. And you're just like, dude. Yeah, and the only flack that like, a person like you might receive would be a little flack from an employee or two. Like you're not going to receive, you're not, you know, and maybe, maybe a competitor a little bit. Or, oh, no, or, we know. got bombs threats. Well, I told you about that. Well, with Trump Jr. Yeah, just because you're associated with him. Uh, he he it? no he he got that weight room bought the weight room from us oh. uh, the gym from us. Uh, I mean, I guess That's I'm right. saying I public forgot now. about that. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, nice enough to to support my company, and he posted about it, which I very much appreciate because well, you yeah. know a- anyone who's supports our company, I appreciate. I reposted it next day. Got a bomb threat at Sornex. That's mind boggling. Mind boggling. Thought it was okay. Maybe that was coincidence. A couple weeks later, post something else. He was throwing his kid in the pool. I was like, "Hey, man, looking strong." You know, again, I interface with my customer base. Right. And he said, "Yeah, the jammer arms are working great. Awesome. Liked it. No big deal. Move on." Bomb threat next day. Have to take two hundred people out of my building. And authorities do anything about it? No. Well, I mean, I know all the bomb guys. They walk around with the <clears throat> with the dogs. We sit out in the parking lot. Yeah, and then investigation then goes go back in into whatever, yeah. and I mean they, they they try to track it, whatever. I mean it's just, but you're just like really that that's a thing. Well, and like, that's like, the other like, thing. Literally, like we're we're literally attacking businesses based on a customer, right? You know, I I certainly posted when other people from other sides of the political aisle sure supported us, right? You know, yeah, and, and because I appreciate people supporting us, right. Yeah, 100%. And that's wow. actually the other thing about, really about Trump and his presidency and stuff, is it actually boggled my mind of how well his family put up with it. Um, yes. You know, Eric, Trump, and I uh, text a little bit, uh, Trump Jr. and I, you know, I mean, obviously you're friends with him too. And I've told both of those guys, just I, I commend them for being able to even just keep their families together I and agree. put up with it. It's just mind-boggling. Tough people, man. And it was actually interesting because when Trump City was running this time, Ivanka kind of right away was just like, I'm out. Mm. Like, I'm out of it. As far as just like, I'm not going to be a part of this one. And I can understand why. <sighs> because she understands fully the fire that comes with that. <sighs> it's you know, incredible. I can't imagine. And I've, I've told Eric and Junior both that they – one thing I really respect about those guys, take all the politics out of it and whatnot, um, Junior really is an amazing father. He really does an amazing job Seems with to be. his kids. Seems to be. Yeah. Um, he really does. With some of the things he exposes his kids to, taking them fishing and mm-hmm. taking them hunting and camping and yes. letting them ride four-wheelers. It's and, inspirational. I, I've gone, man, if he has time to do it, i got to do more of that. There, there's that, but then also just, you know how how wealthy that family is and where they live like a lot of the really wealthy people in those situations don't get their kids out of the city and into a tent right in the woods yeah and you, you have to actually make that happen you have to kind of 
make make that a point. And Junior does do that with his kids, which I, mm-hmm. again, take all the politics out of it. Just just take a wealthy kind of rich guy, yeah, and how he's raising his kids. He's exposing them to, you know, hunting, fishing, camping, outdoors. Yeah which shows them a part of the country that a lot of rich kids in big cities don't ever see, you know, they don't Agreed. ever get exposed to, you know, a guide in Canada or Alaska or Montana and, and you know, living in a tent or sleeping in a tent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's inspirational for someone to be very successful and still finds time to do those type of things. And, and of course I, I probably like it more because it's my type of things. Right. 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 But, but still, yeah, I mean, doing hard things is hard. But right. hard things make us stronger. So I, mean, that, I think that's the biggest thing that we could be doing, interfacing our kids with hard things. You do it all the time. I do it to an extent. I don't do it as much as I'd like. You know? Yeah, same. <clears throat> yeah. No, and I, I uh, it's actually an adjustment I told my wife I'm going to try and make uh, g- going forward, kind of after this year got so bucked up that I, I actually told her I'm going to make more of an effort of, some of these hunts and some of the stuff we're doing, some of these people, I'm going to try to maybe send even some other people along with and whatnot and, yeah. and actually take my kids and my family on a, a little bit more of that stuff because those, those years are like quickly going away. Oh man. You know, yeah, you, you and me both. Um, I actually just pulled my kids out of school. So we're, they we're going to homeschool. Oh really? Yeah. The school they were going to was great. But what I started seeing was there was so much homework associated with everything when they'd come home and they're still young. And it, it was a very active school. It was very, and we may go back, mm-hmm. um, but it was, there were so many extracurricular things. Maybe if I was a dad or we ran a family that didn't have a lot going on yeah, or didn't interface with extremely extraordinary people constantly or had opportunity. If I was a dad that was sitting half drunk on the couch every night watching, I don't even know what's on TV. It's watching whatever thing that's on TV now then having a school like that would be really, really necessary. But when I start looking at, you know, I'm having to find childcare and, and having like stuff happen to make sure my kids get all their school done. So on the first day of winter strong, instead of going to winter strong, I right. go, wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> like I have 200 extraordinary people that you could learn a ton from. And, and I'm, I'm, they're out of it. And that's exactly I mean, I would hope other people would bring their kids and, and my kids are only there half the time and, or right. summer strong, or even let's so go say I do do the install at Alabama mm-hmm. to be able to bring my kid there and be able to have him do a hard day of work, interface with super high level people at, in that world, see how excellence is done and have a five hour trip in the car with my kid to talk to him. And then helps me check into hotels and yeah. do this, like do all that other world stuff that one day I'm not going to have him there. I mean, yeah. he's, he's my oldest is 11, you know, for all intents and purposes, you give him another seven years and he's gone. So Danny Bolton told me the other night sitting in the living room, we were talking about all this exact stuff. And he said he heard a stat kind of mind boggling and also very depressing that when your kids turn 18 and leave home, you will have spent 90%. Yeah. I heard it's 93, 95, something like that. Yeah, 90% of the time that you'll ever spend with your child, you will have spent. So you got 10%, 5 to 10%, depending yep. on maybe where your child ends up, left with your child Yes. before you're gone. I heard the same thing, and that was, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back. Same. It was like, yep, no, we're, we're doing something different. So after Danny and I talked about that, I, I 
told my wife we were sitting in actually in the hot tub that night and I was like like the the time that we just spent like with Derek bear hunting or some of the hunts that I have planned this fall and whatnot that are already on the schedule like next year I'm doing that all different I'm going to do it different because you know Hank's 15 Macy she asked me and we scheduled all these this stuff in uh, New Mexico and then she asked me she's like when am I going to get to go elk hunt and I was like god damn like it like it hit me like I felt bad like of course I didn't, and I didn't even know it was really that important to her. She'd kind of mentioned she'd like to go, but I didn't know it was like really something she wanted to do. And she really wants to go. Right. So like, frankly, don't have time for it this fall, but I'm going to make it happen one way or the other. You got to, because yeah, you know, what? You go fly her down at the tail end of one or something. Yeah. You gain all this and then you, you lose, lose what you're doing it all for. And I think I talked to, you know, um, after Neil passed, I was talking, uh, uh, Neil Curry, I Mm -hmm. was talking to Lucas, um, O'Hara and, and we were talking about in, I'm sure you've heard the term like your first row of your funeral, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. I, I, I started, I, I always try to put that. And for those who haven't heard it, you know, they said your first row of your funeral, you're in the casket. Your first, the first row is, are the people whose lives will be forever changed by your, your not being there. And then the second row are there to support the first row and everyone else is probably on their phone. Yeah. And, you know, I know that's a very, uh, it's a very abrupt way to put it. Right. A little calloused, but it's uh, not far off. Yeah. If yeah. they're not on their phone, then they are when they get in the parking lot. Right. Probably. Right. You know? And so I start looking like, okay, I'm doing all this stuff, not only for our community. Great. And, and my customer basis and whatever, however I want to spin it. But I have four other little people that live in my house, three yeah. little ones and, and a, and a female big one. Yeah. And I realize a lot of times I give a lot more to that rest of the room. Right. And they're going to be the front row. And, yeah. and they are the front row. Right. Right. And I think about that literally every time I leave, you know, uh, I left the house at three 30 this morning right. and I leave and I'm going, what if this is the day? Right. What if this is the day I don't walk through this door again? Am I, is my bill paid up? Am uh, and I I'll, good with everyone. And I'll actually say like the, the sports thing, like if I did it all different, if I did, or I did it all again with my kids, raising them from day one, like we were super heavily involved in the AAU sports and a lot of the travel ball stuff. I coached it all and whatnot. And that, and I guess the, the good thing about it, the way we did it is at least, at least I was coaching. So I was yeah. pretty actively involved with it. I coached girls, basketball, boys, basketball, boys, football, like all this stuff. Right. And, um, the one thing that's been kind of interesting is I actually asked all my kids, I've asked them like, what was your greatest so far? Like Demi's graduated now. Sadie's going to be a senior. Um, you know, Hank's going to be a freshman. And I asked him, I said, what's your greatest game? What's your greatest accomplishment? Like what's your favorite game you ever played of all your sports? Sure. Like, what's your, what's your game? And they were like, none of them could answer it. And Hank's like, well, I made probably the championships with football. And I was like, no, that's not like one game. Like, tell me a game right. and tell yeah. me why. Like, what about that game? Did yeah. you make a play? And none of them could really name a game. Wow. And I said, all right, so tell me about that buck right there and tell me about that buck. And every hunt we've ever been on, and even a lot of the hunts we went on, we didn't shoot anything. They remember not just, like, that deer and, that like, that moment they shot it, but they remember where we parked the camper. They remember wow. how many days we hunted. They remember how far in we hiked. I remember little like things about like we walked in and it was really frosty. And then as we were walking out, it had warmed up and then it got super muddy and there was mud on our boots. And like, they remember the detail that's like mm. mind boggling. And it, 
I wished I would have realized this 10 years ago, you know, but we were, they were still young and doing their, their thing in sports, but like we missed a lot of opportunities to go hunt or go do some things like maybe family trips and stuff because of sports. And it's all good. I think the sports right. are fantastic and they teach you so much. However, it's all remembered as a whole, but sports, but their <laughs> yeah. sports are remembered as a whole generally for my kids. Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking for mine. They just remember like kind of all of it. Right. It's been busy, right? From, and it's year round. It's baseball, Jeez. volleyball in the fall. It's basketball, it's football, it's track and, and on around. Right. And the point of that is, is when you take them and you do things like that have like an impression and an impact, like taking them at hunting when they're 11 yes. or 12 and you camp in a tent and you make, uh, you know, a, a peak refuel meal over a jet boil and you start a fire in the woods and then you kill something. And it's also visceral and also yes. impactful that they never forget it. It's super imprinted, crazy imprinted. Yeah. And, and, uh, I was thinking to myself, like Macy's 13, like I got five years left yes. to, to put more of those in her brain mm -hmm. in between softball and basketball and all the stuff she's still doing. Sure. And, and actually hunting is the only thing that Hank will miss a sporting activity for. Right. Like last year he missed a week of practice and a football game. And honestly, like he wouldn't miss that for anything. We went elk hunting, archery elk hunting in New Mexico and shot that elk. And, yeah, and, and I told him this year, I'm like, hey, man, if you want to go back, you can. But, like, now you're a freshman. It's a high school. You're going to miss a high school game. He's likely going to be on varsity. And he's like, I'm going hunting. I mean, it was just like. Yeah, because in the grand scheme of things, like, okay, he could also have the flu one week and miss a game of football. Right. Like, right, <laughs> and I don't. That's how I've always seen it. For yeah. me, for me, training and hunting were always very high. But I, I, I hate to say, I always generally put hunting a bit higher. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it made it easier for me to do that because before, up until I really started MKC, I was the coach for all this right. stuff. So, yeah, so now yeah. it's hard to leave. Of course, because like Hank's the quarterback and I'm the coach. Well, it's kind of yeah, tough that. to leave for a week. Right. You know. Um, Have you ever asked them? Uh, it's interesting that you're saying that because I had a. a a similar similar thing i was asking my son we were driving the car the other day and and you know i've, I've started you know looking back into like the love languages you know how do people accept and and how do they love and how do they accept love or acceptance or whatever it may mm -hmm. be and i don't know how familiar you are with that yeah um, a little bit a little bit so um luke day a strength coach friend of mine down at south carolina he he does uh, he interviews each kid at South Carolina, University of South Carolina football, these are just big monsters. And he interviews them enough to figure out their love language. And he's, wow. and it's wild. So what he was saying was 95% of the kids there that didn't have a dad growing up almost always have words of affirmation and quality time as their two love languages. Really? And he said, it's crazy. He said, you'll get a dirt scrap poor kid that's never had anything. He goes, you give him all these new pair of shoes and all these, all this cool swag, and you'd think you'd be forever grateful. He goes, they don't give a shit. They, they want to know, do you care about me? Are you there for me? Because that's what they, that's what they missed. Yeah. And, and so he, and he, he would talk to the kids. I know it's kind of a weird thing. I'll come back to it. But he said, because you look at it, and, he, and we just posted this on our, on our Sorenex podcast, but it was, he talks about it on that podcast. He said, you know, you, you take a football kid that's in the SEC playing football. He goes, he he 
he all he wants are those words of affirmation that he probably didn't get. He goes, so you wonder why he doesn't go to class. He doesn't get affirmation in math class. Right. He, when he catches a touchdown, he goes on the Jumbotron in front of 85,000 people, and everyone cheers his name, and they buy his jersey. That's what he cares about. Right. And you, you can like it or dislike it, but realize that's the hole in his heart that he yeah. or she needs. And so trying to figure that out with my son, I was riding the other day. I was like, hey, how do you, how do you know that daddy loves you? And he goes, well, because you tell me. I said, well, okay, good. At least I told him. And then I said, well, how, do, but how do you know it? Like, how does, how does daddy show it the most? Like, what do you, when do you feel most loved? And I'm thinking, I'm asking an 11 year old, so who knows right. what you're going to get. Right. And out of all the stuff that I try to do and, you know, buy or take on trip, like all this stuff, he's like, when we wrestle, yep. he goes, and when we have donut talks and donut talks only happen twice. And there was a time he was having a hard time at school and some girls were being mean to him, whatever. And he was pretty bummed out. And I was like, Hey buddy, let's grab two donuts. Let's go back and sit in the back room and let's just, let's just talk. And I just asked kind of like counseling appointment, just kind of, I said, let's eat these donuts and let me just dig into what's going on. I didn't say it that way, but I basically did a counseling appointment with him and we only did it twice. And to this day, he still says that was the most he felt loved by me is yeah. eating donuts. Wow. And then so I was talking to another buddy of mine the other day. We were talking about training and keeping up with your diet, this and that. And I was like, I'm going to keep up with it. But if my son needs to go eat donuts and, and yeah, talk yeah. about that, or my wife wants to have donut. a glass of wine and sit there and, and spend quality time, sorry, man, I don't need a six-pack that bad. Right, right. You know, so but it was just a very interesting thing of all the stuff, you know. Yeah. Wrestling yeah. and donuts. What talks. about for you? I mean, when you look back on your childhood – <clears throat> all the sports that you did and whatnot and your relationship with your dad and your father, what, what do you remember? What, what do you remember that showed you the most love or that you look back the most fondly? Yeah. On? It's interesting because he, my dad generally showed love specifically in gifts because that was just how his dad showed him love. His dad wasn't around. So he would buy something for him. So I would get like a knife or like little hunting stuff. So that's what I've learned. Mm -hmm but I realize I probably want words of affirmation the mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. And that was, but then I, I'm an only child, right? An only child from a single parent, didn't have a brother, an older brother, or older sister to be my advocate. So I was like, you know, I'd go and all of my friends had older brothers and sisters. So I'd either get my ass kicked or I'd be getting picked on. And, you know, when you're even, when you're younger, when I was like the youngest kid in the neighborhood and I didn't have an older brother, like you're just not read in to as many things, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so you get taken advantage of, you get made fun of, you didn't know about the whatever. So you just learn to like navigate those situations. But then also like you, you learn to want to put wins on the board. <laughs> like you, you don't want to be the butt of jokes. You don't right. want, you want to be successful. You want to be, so I kind of learned like, okay, like words of affirmation are probably my thing. And it's not people kissing my ass, but knowing like, I mean, what if you've ever read the book uh, Wild at Heart? It's it's a fantastic book, but it talks about a man generally has, every man has a, has a hole in his heart, a question. And that mm -hmm. question is, am I good enough? Right. A woman generally says, feels, do you see me? Am I appealing? Am I one to be pursued? Mm -hmm. And a man, I mean, why do men go to war? Why do they work hard to make a lot of money? Why do they go do sports? Why, why do they try to go kill the biggest buck? Why do they run a zillion miles? Why do they bank awesome knives? Why do they? 
am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Is MKC good enough to compete with the other ones? Is right. Sorenex good enough? Am all that? Yeah. And you look at it and you're like, oh, as men, that's what we want. Like, yeah. whether we like it or not, that's how we're geared. Right. And so I think, especially as someone who grew up without a dad in the household, I would visit him. Mm-hmm. But you know, the male role model was, am I good enough? Right. And I think for years that was, you know. I, I, I think in a way I inadvertently took on the um this the the attributes that my dad found positive, strong, capable, right, confident, you know, all those things. Right. And those are the things that I went after looking for Yeah, that affirmation. Affirmation, but then those became things that I also respected and wanted out of life. Sure. So it's it's just really interesting when you start digging down to like why do why do we do things and then the people around you understanding like why do they do things because that solves a lot of problems when you can understand how you're speaking to them and what they're looking for and you know you give someone a gift and they're like well I would rather we just sat down and have a, you know coffee because like right. that's what I care about is the the time like, like my yeah. wife cares nothing about gifts she's time one hundred percent time yeah like that that's her thing yeah. But sometimes I'm not geared that way. And that's generally when I have problems. It's not her problem. It's my problem. Right. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. No, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. And it's, it's, um, that's actually something that time thing is, uh, it's interesting. Justin, I've had a couple, uh, you know, I wouldn't say heated discussions, but like (laughs) discussions back and forth because she'll be like, I'll be like, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? Like right. in the house at night, right? Something I can tell something's not right. I have sure. this like sixth sense. I can tell and nothing's wrong. Like, okay. Well, something's wrong. What's wrong? <laughs> bullshit me here. And it's like, well, I just, you know, you're cause it's you and it's usually like, Hey, I'm headed to run, go do something or whatever at seven o'clock at night. And she's like, you know, finally admits. And she's like, well, I just don't feel like I've seen you enough. And I'm like, and my, my response is we work in the same building. You've been here. I've seen you 400 seen, times a day. Yeah, well, and a lot of times right. it's like I'm in here at my desk or in my office and I'm on one of these podcasts or right. a meeting. She's busy doing her stuff and we're cross by in the hallway and it's like, how's it going? Good, blah, blah, blah. And like like you say, I saw her 10 times mm-hmm. um, and we're literally working. For me, I, I feel like it's super special because I know she's right over there. Right. So like that's good enough for me. Right. Like she's in the building. Yeah. For her... I, you know, like if I just stop and give her a hug and be like, how's it going? And talk to her for a minute. Like, that's all she needs. Like, can, are you seeing her? Is she being pursued? Right. <laughs> like it exactly. Right it, it does. It goes right back to it. Yeah. And, and so then we're in the house and we're having a discussion and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. um, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. So like every now and then I'm like, okay, I need to stop for a second. It's predictably crazy. And I, and I, I'm, I'm a repeat offender. I do like, I'm so stupid. I do the same thing. And I'm like, you're so dumb. Why do you keep, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) you would have thought I would have learned by now, but exactly. Well, we should probably, uh, we got friends here. Um, we got arrows to shoot on the solstice. Yeah, exactly. So we could do this for hours, but, uh, yeah, Danny, he's terrible at shooting a bow. Yeah, I hope he like breaks a string or something before I get down there so I could pretend I could have beaten him. Yeah, I was thinking about trying to figure out a way to take an extra turn on his dial or something. Mm, he's shooting yeah. pretty good. Yeah, so. spin the turret. Yeah, Danny's yeah. a beast. Like, I'm pretty sure he's actually Jason Bourne. 
Yeah. And he just says he's like a Hawaiian kid that does, I still don't really know what he does, but yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he uh, does a little everything, he, but a little too well. Yeah. He is. Yeah, exactly. Just really, really good at everything that he does. It's, yeah. It's like, I don't really ever shoot rifles. It's like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I don't shoot pistols. Ding, 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 ding. It's like, hmm. Yeah. I think he was like in some weird, like, Jason Bourne like wreck and doesn't know who he is, but he has these weird skills that he's like, you know, he knows what, what speed he could run at this elevation before. He exactly. <laughs> exactly. I feel like when he goes back to draw back his bow, there's like calculator. Oh, like, it's like, it's like Terminator in his head. Locks on. Yeah. And he doesn't realize that everyone else doesn't have that. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh yeah, shooting pretty good. That one was a little high, two inches high, yeah, hundred. While it, <laughs> while it's in the air, he calls it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Calculations tell me that's two inches high. Yeah, when we were shooting last night, and it was almost dark, and he was telling me like, oh yeah, that one was a little higher, that one was a little low, and I was thinking, that you can't see that. You're making that shit up. And then I walk up there, and I'm like, and I've I've actually still got good vision. I actually I'm getting to that age where I keep waiting for it to go bad, yeah. but it's still good. And I'm Mine's like, it's going now. It sucks. I don't understand how he's seeing those. Arrows. He he has some freaky abilities. Yeah. Yeah. It's as be, soon as it leaves the bow, it's like the calculations run in his head. And he's <laughs> like, that's on that's a good one. That one's no good. Hit. Yeah. Hit. Yeah, yeah, you got you got uh you got the the nosslers here. Yep. And you got uh cold cold creamers, I call it. Cold them. creamer, whole creamer. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the man with the the, the the legend. I think when we were at Sig Hunter Games, he had, I had to check that video. I think he had seven hoods on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a Russian nesting hood. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, he just kept peeling them back. I'm like, are you seriously walking around? He's like, yeah, I'm cold. I'm like, you live in Alaska. How are you cold? Exactly. No, we got a heck of a group, so yeah. we'll get to it. But thanks again for coming. Yeah, it was, brother. You guys flew uh or landed three hours from where your actual destination was. So it means a lot. You guys made the effort. Of course. We got to get in a car and drive right back yeah. kind of in the direction you just flew we were, from. We weren't going to come to Montana and not come see you. Man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us at a sleepover. For sure. <laughs> what, uh, by the way, what, just for people that maybe aren't familiar, what's your Instagram or like Bert Soren, B E R T S O R I N, uh, Bert Soren, or you could do Sorenx or Sorenx Outdoors. It all kind of has uh, similar content, but. Uh, down different rabbit holes yeah and for people that want to go check that out like the sornex website you can go on and see sornex.com yeah sornex.com what you guys have built the gyms you've built for high schools colleges professional athletes the military um it's just really really cool and then the way that you've combined all that with the outdoors your love of the outdoors um pops you know your dad yeah. the outdoors uh wesley Oh, you know, Mr. Wesley, there's, there's just so much to, uh, we need to make a turtle hunting knife called the Mr. Wesley. Exactly. We do. That'd, <laughs> That'd be, be awesome. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Brother. All right, man. Thanks, man.